Welcome everyone to the Atomic Cinema Experiment. I am Peter and joining me as always is Tara. Greetings citizens. And this is a science fiction movie podcast. We get together, we've watched the movie, we talk about it. It's really quite that simple. And in this episode we are rounded out our trio of episodes featuring movies that are set in 2020 that obviously were made in the past and the 2020 was the future at the time. Um, and before we even get to what this movie's about, I just wanted to like, tell my experience because we, we kind of f- really flubbed this whole theme because the first one that we did uh, <laughs> was Pacific Rim. And Pacific Rim had a scene at the start set in 2020 and then it like jumped ahead like five years or something like that. I was like, oh wait, so there was like five minutes in 2020 and the rest mm-hmm. you know, wasn't. Uh, Real Steel, which was the second one, again, we got these results, just Google told us, hey, these are set in 2020. And Real Steel, I think, was all set in 2020, but I don't think it was ever really mentioned or acknowledged or really talked about. It just, if you were paying, I think there was some details that told you it was 2020, but it's not a big deal. So it kind of felt like, well... Yeah, it wasn't obvious. Yeah, it didn't feel like a a thing. Uh, So this movie starts, and after the opening scene, there's a a text comes up saying, oh, it's like May 2020. I was like, oh, great, finally, one that actually says out loud, (laughs) it's 2020, it matters. And then the very next scene, it says... 13 months later and i'm like if i do my math correctly here that means that the rest of the movie actually takes place in 2021 or 2022 i mean maybe the first scenes in like december of 2020 it no never mind it said may yeah it specified it may may have been like june or july but it was definitely the middle of the year so yeah it was definitely like summer months because so, we're having a barbecue for a start. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a very summary thing you do. I guess maybe when you looked up the list, you accidentally typed in, like, movies whose preface is in <laughs> 2020. So there was just there was a moment when it came up saying 13 months later, because I thought we'd finally hit one that was genuinely in 2020, and they referenced it was 2020. And yeah, immediately, it. Yeah, immediately... So we should have really done this next year because it's mostly 2021, but... It'll be... Yeah. Here we are. <laughs> It'll be next year soon. <laughs> so, um, I, I guess I just... We should have botched it, yeah. I mean, 2020 is a year botched it for, you know, everyone. So I guess it's in theme of the yep. year that we couldn't quite do it properly. So there we go. Uh, so Mission to Mars Plus is a move- consistent with our show. <laughs> How dare you? This is an immaculate show. <laughs> we are we are we have done nothing but gold since day one how dare you um mission to mars is a movie uh which obviously the title makes it sound obvious but it's not as obvious as i think the movie makes it sound and i'll get into that when we get into the plot but i wasn't sure if i'd seen this because this came out around the same time as a movie called red planet starring Vela kilmer mm-hmm. and they're both movies about going to mars five minutes out of this movie i was like oh no i definitely saw red planet because i don't know any of this <laughs> i actually have seen this one i recognize this one once it got going mm. i have not seen red planet okay we'll do red planet someday but for now we're on mission to mars i uh because i, I was expecting a movie about getting to mars for the first time and mm-hmm. i don't think it's a spoiler because we're starting spoiler free of course we always do and we'll warn you halfway through before we go into spoilers when it just cut to like 13 months later and oh they're already on mars like wait, what <laughs> which is it was that easy they're just on mars the, the, mm-hmm. the journey there was nothing and <laughs> what's so weird about it is I thought, okay, there was such a big deal in the opening scene about like, oh, who's getting to walk, you know, first on Mars and how special that's going to be to just cut to like, oh, we're already on Mars. No oh, big deal. Yeah. But at least I thought, okay, the character who really seemed to care about it, Gary Sinise, 
Mars' character. Mm-hmm. I thought he didn't go, right? He 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 doesn't get to go to Mars till later in the movie. And I thought, oh, they're going to make a big deal about him because he made such a big because he has that moment at the start when he, he presses his foot in the little sand pit, the kid's sand pit, as if he's mm-hmm. like, you know, emulating because he you know he was going to go to Mars on the mission, but his wife got yeah, sick and he pulled out. Yeah, and. But it also cuts that. It skips that too. Like it just, it, you know, when when they arrive on Mars, they're already there, and it's like, wait, what? No, what? <laughs> what? Wait. Yeah, we start in media's rest on Mars. Yes, <laughs> it's uh, it's very odd, and the, some of the things that glosses over. And yes, yeah, anyway, uh, so the movie's not so much about getting to Mars in the first sense, um, because once on Mars, Don Cheadle and his crew encounter a weird storm we'll just call it for now um which causes some chaos and a lot of casualties happen and it becomes something of a rescue mission where on the world space station not the international space station it's the world space station uh in the future um, it is the international space station with a with an extra 2001 <laughs> little spinny ball thing at the end of it or wheel <laughs> um but it's like, okay, so the rest of our main characters are going to mount a rescue mission. So it's about them going to Mars to try and rescue Don Cheadle. Um, which is funny, because in my head, it's, when this was all sort of revealing, I thought, this is like an inverted The Martian, because we're just fo- we're following the crew going, and they don't know if he's alive or not, so they're just kind mm-hmm. of like, oh, we hope he's alive. And I'm like, the opposite of this is The Martian, where he's on Mars and we're following him, like, you know, how does he science the shit out of this? That, that's The I know. Martian. I wonder what movie would have been more interesting. Hmm. <laughs> Well, that leads me to my question because this movie, this movie definitely goes places towards the end. Uh, there's some big things that it, it does. That yeah. definitely, because I mean, obviously, we're in space, we're traveling to another planet. That's just inherently science fiction from the start. I think, you know, when I looked at this movie and they're all wearing NASA uniforms and stuff, there's almost this implication that it's going to be more of a grounded sci-fi movie in the sense that, oh, I'm expected to be like sort of like focused on going to Mars, like we got to the moon, and sort of treating it with this reverence and. It's technically mm-hmm. sci-fi, but doesn't necessarily feel like full-on sci-fi because it is trying to be more of a, uh, just a maybe a realistic take. It is not yeah. like within the first ten minutes, there's like vortex sandstorms in Mars that are like killing people and shit. Like this, it's full-on sci-fi. No question. Yeah. So, with that all said, Tara, how do you feel about Mission to? Which, by the way, directed by Brian De Palma. Let's not gloss right. over that. Right. Yeah, Tara, a, a director you... we both really like. Yes, at his prime. <laughs> how do you feel about Mission to Mars? Well, it's not my favorite De Palma film. Uh, I actually think he's a bit of a weird director for this movie, like a weird, an odd choice, and uh, it's um, it's ambitious. It feels a little tonally off. Um, there's a there's a lot of character interactions that I don't find realistic or grounded at all. Um, there's a lot of like couples and romance scenes that feel like they should be in a different movie. Um, but I do like a lot in it. Like I like how, you know, some things are very predictable and some things like it goes places. It, it almost reminds me, it reminds me of a lot of movies actually, but it reminds me of Ad Astra. A bit uh-huh. that way where it's like, wow, I didn't expect this curve. Um, and there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of movies in this. I mean, it's no Rocket Man, but it's a, it, I think it's sort of a fun watch. 
There's a lot of stuff in there that was making me think of movies, but specifically movies that came later. And it's not that I think this inspired anything, because I, I definitely don't think it did. But there's definitely some... And it's, I guess it's just... One of my key complaints about this movie is just how much of it is just kind of, like, tropes of the genre. And mm-hmm. we talked about the mismatch of tones a second ago. Yeah, and I think I, it's tropes from other genres, too. But I, I <laughs> brought was, into this. I was really feeling the mismatch of tones. I think the mm-hmm. score, especially, is so inappropriate, like, 99% of the time. Yeah, it's Ennio Morricone, too. And I, I actually really like listening to the score on its own, but I don't like it in this movie. I think it's it's trying to go for that uh, it's a, it's, it's going like for a... epic feeling, because you get Ennio Morricone if you want to make a big epic. And... Well, no, no, I'll, t- I'll tell you what it's going for. It's, it's going for Apollo 13. It wants this yeah. kind of emotional... They even kind got of... Gary Sinise, who like wasn't going to be on the mission in the beginning. Yeah, like it's, it's, going, to, it's going for that um, like heroic like kind of ceremonial brass, and it's... And it, but it does it at times that are so weird. Like it does it at times when it should be a tense scene, and the music sort yeah. of going, "Look at these heroes, these great American heroes, like in space, they're doing their thing." Like this is I a know. tense moment where they are, are on the brink of death at any second, and you're treating yeah. it like it's like a, the, like, like like the landing home. That's what the music's telling me. The music's telling me that they're landing back in Earth to a cheering crowd. That's what the music's I think, telling me. I think this music could be interchangeable with any Western epic, honestly, or and it would be appropriate. Like it would fit. It, it it does sound like Morricone's westerns to me. Like more so than even his other De Palma stuff that he did, because he did The Untouchables, also, mm-hmm. which is more of yeah. a gangster movie. And that probably, well, it is a gangster movie, but that probably would have fit in there as well. That score. This, uh, I don't. Yeah, like I think the music would be great to listen to on its own, but I don't think it works it's well caught- in the film. It is constantly jarring with was the scenes that are actually happening in the in the movie constantly, like, and it's not even just like one or two scenes. Once I started noticing it, it was almost every scene, any big yeah. scene where something was happening, especially especially any scene that was supposed to be dangerous, tense, mm-hmm. or they were under like you know some kind of like because it's a movie you know any movie like this that treats space as a dangerous thing where they're, they're constantly having problems they're constantly almost dying and they're on the planet mm-hmm. and they're almost dying a lot like there's a lot of scenes where it's supposed to be this and there were scenes where the music's doing this heroic thing and i'm like no if anything i should just hear heavy breathing i should hear the the, the, the emptiness of space I should, that should be like a tense like visceral yeah. moment and instead the music's given me you don't think it's going a little bit for the 2001 like sweeping waltzes with the ships and stuff they're trying to sort of replicate that by getting Morricone to do something epic I I mean if that's the plan they're doing it in all the wrong scenes the the scenes in 2001 that do that aren't the scenes where there's the you know the scenes towards the end of 2001 where he's running around from Hal aren't the ones that are accompanied by the waltz music it's, it's the no, scenes no. you know where he's jogging yeah. you know, and stuff like that it's just it's the quiet the quiet you know slice of life mm-hmm. moments that are, that are doing that stuff um or or it's the the dance of the, the various you know the, the ships in the space station like disconnecting and stuff where mm-hmm. it, it treats it like a waltz like it's a dance um no here here it's doing it in scenes where i'm like no that should be like this is the scene that i'm thinking of like because another movie that's made me think of a little bit in some ways was interstellar and like yeah the music that plays in interstellar where he's trying to reconnect the you know he's trying to dock and they're spinning like 
There's a scene in this where I'm like, yeah, the music from that scene would work here with the, the mm-hmm. pounding and the, the, the organ going, <laughs> right? That, that would work in this scene. The music we've got is like, yeah, it's a, yeah, I don't want to, I love both these people. I love De Palma and I love Morricone, but I don't think either of them fit science fiction. That's a fair statement. I, I mean, I don't know if it's because Brian De Palma is just not fit for science fiction. I, part, you know, Brian De Palma and his prime. Like, I would have loved to have seen what he'd done with it. Like in the seventies, what what is a Brian Palma seventies science fiction like in space? Movie Probably has like? Travolta and um, Nancy Probably. Allen in it. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it, it may be it may be great even. And but this is a, this is the thing. This is it's not like this movie's an isolated case. This the Palma, unfortunately, by this type point in his career, had diminished right or this at least was the start of his well yeah i mean well only a couple of years before he did the mission impossible movie which is a movie i really enjoy and set off a franchise that you know arguably got better but i think that first one was really fun i don't think mission impossible is good i don't think it is as close to his prime though like at the risk of upsetting you here mission impossible is a good movie I don't think Mission Impossible is on par with seventies and eighties De Palma. Like I, I think there's a there's a no, debate there. I don't I don't think so either. I but I don't think it's like as far as blockbuster action set pieces go, I mean it's tense, it's fun, the characters are good, the dialogue is spy like and action y and doesn't come off as like horrendous. But that's that's <laughs> the thing though. Like you know? I don't I don't it, know if this was what he did next. Probably not, it was probably something in between. But do you not like get the sense that he became more Hollywoody? Because this, this movie does feel really generically oh, yeah. Hollywood, like in, in a really bad way. Like there's there's scenes in this where it just feels like it's doing a Hollywood thing. There's a scene early on with uh, using M and M's to like make a point that then is like dramatically flashback to later on that made mm-hmm. me laugh out loud because it was so bad. Like there is legitimately laugh out loud moments in this that are yeah. There's bad. some <laughs> there's some flashes of cosmos in this. With like the <laughs> slow zoom and then the the sweeping score like mm. <laughs> coming up, like, I was getting some Cosmos vibes every now and then, and the Eminem scene was one of them. Yeah, um, and, uh, yeah, and it, they didn't go all in with like something like the hats, but there is actually something that's kind of almost in the ballpark. <laughs> there's something. There's there's almost something. Um, yeah, he, he did snake eyes between the. Uh, Mission Impossible in this, but I uh, guess I don't think I saw that. That's the Nicolas Cage one, right? Yeah, and it's watchable. And Gary Sinise is in there, like you know, he's he's uh in that movie. But honestly, yeah, th- this is definitely the turning point. I think is this like late nineties, early two thousands, where he just because mm-hmm. after this, like I, I mean, I haven't seen some of these films, but Black Dahlia from two thousand six was woof. I saw that in theaters, and it was bad. Mm. And, that, and that was a movie that should have played to his strengths because it's... this is one of his lowest rated movies though from what i saw oh yeah yeah um i, I mean black dahlia is definitely worse than this believe it or not uh black dahlia and i think black dahlia is even worse because it's like it's almost like him getting back to his genre he's going back to a thriller yeah. right and because that's right. what he does so well and the fact that that still failed it kind of felt like okay like a lot of directors from the you know 70s 80s you, you, you kind of floundered a bit in the 90s here or there, but once you got to the 2000s, and you know, I, I'm saying this about directors I love, but the Palma, John Carpenter's another one where mm-hmm. 70s and 80s Carpenter, like, full of absolute classics and gems. Just and Don't give him a budget, I guess. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but you, you get to 2000s. Some people are just born to stay indie. 
<laughs> in fact, hell, what is about Mars? Because well, you know, I've not even seen Ghosts of Mars, but it's, that's a John Carpenter, like that's that's mm-hmm. his like big like not his last film, but that was kind of the one that just about put the nail in his the coffin of his career. He did do that one, The Ward, I think it was called. Like it was a good few years later, but like Mission to Mars is the one that left the impact of okay, he's lost it. <laughs> again, that's a I've, shame. I've yeah. not seen it uh, as a Mars movie, so we'll, it's on our list. I'm sure. Then we'll do it unless yeah. it's a horror film. I think it's more sci-fi, but I mean, I'll look into it. Whatever, we'll we'll flip a coin. Well, I'll, I'll look into <laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, so Brian, because there's very little in this that feels department. There's one or two small moments where the camera will do a little like tracking shot where I'll go, oh, that felt a little department. Yeah, I like the set pieces a lot, and especially at the end, like I, I think the last maybe twenty minutes of the movie. Although there are scenes where I'm just like, eh, it's inappropriate music. I do still like what I'm getting in the film. I'll, I'll give it this. It it makes some bold steps mm-hmm. towards the end. It does some really wacky out there stuff, which is definitely more wacky than anything I was expecting going into it. I, I, I think some of the set pieces are kind of rough. And uh, again, music's inappropriate. They feel really Hollywoody you know like mm-hmm. the, the moments where characters have to sacrifice themselves or something it feels like a really hollywood version of these moments um i hate to like go into criticizing like the physics in space too much because i'm by no means an expert but there's definitely times in this where i was like mm, i don't think it works that way <laughs> like, yeah know. i know what you mean um i did read in the trivia that they had like nasa consultants like when they i, I don't know if it was for the creation of the film itself like if De Palma talked to them or if it was just during the writing process of like we want this to be as accurate as possible so say in 2020 how can humans get to Mars based on the technology that we have Mm. now it would take this long you'd have to watch out for space debris um that kind of stuff so apparently a lot of that is as accurate as they can make it I don't know about the physics part I know exactly what scene you're talking about though yeah um I also did read that there was a different director attached to it. I don't remember who it was. And then De Palma got interested and took over the project. And there were some rewrites after that. So maybe it was more grounded in the beginning. And then De Palma's like, well, I got to make a Hollywood movie. So we'll add this stuff in it. (laughs) I also think that the where it goes at the end, well, I kind of like how ballsy it is. And it's probably got the most interesting looking scenes of the whole movie. I yeah. do think I don't think the rest of the movie thematically sets any of it up. It feels like it just comes out of complete nowhere, and yeah, I think the characters are a little tropey. Oh, they are. That they are. They are like they're also really kind of boring and dull in a lot of ways. Where all they really have going is kind of that generic Hollywood. They're likable, nice people, right? Mm-hmm. And they care about each other, and they you know they're, they're going to do this no matter what. And there's a lot of that sentimental thing of looking out into space mm-hmm. and being like, I want to travel to the stars and do that kind of thing. Yeah, Gary Sinise has lost his wife beforehand. Yeah. And like, even they're like, the, they have like a, not a flashback, but they're showing a video of like a party scene. Mm. And it's all the same. It's like the same clones of people, of their personalities. Like the, you're right. Like everybody just likes each other. And I, it, it doesn't. That's not real life. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's all a little bit too uh, saccharine, a little bit too sentimental and mm-hmm. sweet. And it's not that some of these ideas or some of these character tropes aren't fitting of what the movie needs or what can be in a movie. It's just that 
it's so devoid of any other layer that it just all comes off as a bit kind of hollow and mm-hmm. there's, there's very little characters to kind of engage in. You know, obviously, it's a cast of people who, you know, we typically like. You know, Gary Sinise, Tim yep. Robbins, Don Cheadle, Connie Nielsen, Jerry O'Connell's in there. Um, yeah, he still has some of the baby weight, too. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> the baby weight? Because he, he was a little fat kid in Stand By Me and now he's like super lean guy married to Rebecca Romaine. What's what's funny though is that he he looks smaller not necessarily in a skinnier way but less more in a well I guess it's still skinny but I feel like in Scream 2 he looks bulkier but that's like before this Scream 2 was 97 so mm-hmm. he really slimmed down uh, in the this few years between them because that, that's the main thing I know Jerry O'Connell from Scream 2 of all things. Uh, I know mostly from Sliders, the yeah, television show. I never watched Sliders. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hear it's. I hear it was good for two seasons and then fell off a cliff. But um, I don't remember. I, I mean, I was young when it was on, so I just kind <laughs> of. It was a fun show. <laughs> yeah, because I remember uh, what the 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 sort of the the esteemed actor in the show. I can't remember his name, but he uh, like was very vocal. Tony Davies. Yes, he was very vocal about how bad it got after the couple of seasons because they like mm. fired writers or something. I don't know. Um, I see. Uh. Yeah, so I can't. This movie's not good. I can't say it's good. There's there's just far too much wrong with it. That's mismatched, bland, generic Hollywood characters, yeah. uh, visual effects that don't really hold up. So there's some genuinely laugh out loud moments that are because they're bad because they are like. And I'm thinking the M and M's or or even when Doctor Pepper saves lives. Um, you know, the, like I don't mind product placement because honestly, it's actually more distracting sometimes when everything's like a fake brand or it's like, give me a beer yeah. or you know that kind of like weird thing. But when the camera shot lingers on the floating like astronaut bag of Dr Pepper that still has the logo on it, like why why mm-hmm. has the logo on it? Why why would they make the Dr Pepper logos for their astronaut bags? Like, are they just sponsoring space flight? Like, what's going on here? Um, I don't know. I I think they did have soda in the in like. On, in space, I think they do have like bags of soda, though. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure they probably do, but did they make the effort of branding it? Is, is it so that when they're <laughs> they're doing their their calls down and they, they put some of it on the news, sometimes maybe they're the, oh, and we've been drinking Coca Cola. Uh, <laughs> it is the don't, drink I mean, of the yeah, future. don't think I didn't notice. It was very obvious. Uh, like, all right, it's Dr Pepper. Dr Pepper First and M Ms. Gross. <laughs> I am not a pepper. Oh yeah, I don't like Dr Pepper either. I think it's disgusting. Um, it's disgusting. Um, I mean, M&M's are alright. I like M&M's well enough, but... I used to, but they use milk. The regular ones are not... I mean, the regular ones are fine. They're very edible, obviously, but uh, the crispy oh, ones... Oh, peanut is the best. Well, peanut's good. Crispy's better, but you don't have crispy. Yes, we do. But yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Alright. I don't like them. Crispy's the best. Uh, <laughs> the, the salty caramel ones are alright. Peanut butter is obviously good. We don't have peanut butter, but I've, I've tried them. They're good. Um... How could they not be? I mean, it's peanut butter. Peanut butter. Chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, let's just off because this is just, this is leading <laughs> down a, a dangerous tangent. Yeah, you know, there is a, a funny a scene that I thought was just super odd. I don't think it's a, that much of a spoiler, but like you know, we were talking about how they show the footprint in the sand to be like these iconic moments of man getting to um, a, a place that should be impossible like the moon and now mars a big deal right and the only thing that we get is for some reason the second crew decides to plant an american flag yeah didn't the first crew already do that, that that's a bit weird <laughs> 
I don't know. Or and it just has this, you know, sweeping epic score. I'm like, seems like they have other priorities right now. But uh, that it just that scene in particular felt like someone in the producers roundtable raising their hand saying, "Uh, we need to have someone putting the American flag up." (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, what's funny is that, you know, we'll eventually get to Red Planet and uh, The Martian and these other things. And I'm like, you know, I, I one of the things we do on YouTube is a little bit playlist for the subgenres. So you can go check out our Aliens movie reviews subgenre or, or space movies or whatever. I, I, I feel like there'll be enough for like a playlist that just says Getting to Mars movies. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, Rocketman's going to be on there. So yeah, Rocketman, yeah. Rocketman, Mission to Mars, Red Planet, <laughs> The Martian. I'm sure there's a couple other ones, but those are the, the main ones that spring to mind. Um, yeah, I... that This, to me, says everything about two things. One, the decline of Brian De Palma, and two, the type of generic Hollywood movie that you got at the turn of the century. Because this, you know, this came out in 2000. Yeah. This is... And it is, it is really funny watching it now, and you know, it's set in 2020, at least partially. And, oh, that's 20 years now. This movie was... I, it's and obviously it's just us saying how old we are, but like I remember watching new movies in two thousand. This this isn't like when a movie came out in like ninety two when I was like really young. And I, like okay, I was alive, but I don't really remember things from that time mm-hmm. that well. But I remember movies coming out in two. I remember Gladiator coming out. I remember like these things coming out. Yeah, and being a big deal. So the fact that this is like oh, this is set in the near future, and I was like oh wait shit, we're in that near future. And what was funny <laughs> is watching it and looking out for like signs of the future. There's very little. There's like one line about how uh tim robbins cars yeah tim robbins car is like a classic car with like you know a combustion engine and they mentioned that they they kind of go out of their way to avoid showing just about anything else that they use just so they don't have to really like do future versions of it gary sinise pulls up in a future electric car but i think it is an actual car that was made Mm. and um but like it was so limited that not, it's like a DeLorean. It would look like a future car if you saw it. Yeah. The only other thing, really, is that on the space station, you see them use sort of these clunky tablets. And it's, mm-hmm. that, that's one of those things where, okay, tablets are a thing now. This does look really clunky. But maybe you can sort of just buy that in your head as well. Because it's in space, they build these big chunky ones to like be durable and to take a hit. And, you mm-hmm. know, you know, they're not meant to be sleek and stylish like the ones we buy for home. Uh, yeah, really whatever. all of the future stuff comes from, like, you get shots of the International Space Station, but with added stuff to it. So it's got to be the future, because yeah. now they have a way to simulate gravity by having the uh, the hamster wheel attachment. And it's not really... It's not, it's not really that I'm saying that there should be a lot of, like, oh, look at all these fancy made-up future things that we have to show us in the future. But it does also feel oddly weird that there's just almost nothing... Uh, mm-hmm. that really tells us it is the future. Yeah, there's no... It's hard to say this about a De Palma film, but there's no style to it. No, I agree. There is, is, is the void of style, which is weird because his biggest strength in all of his great mm-hmm. movies is how stylish they are. Uh, Brian De Palma is a great example of a director because you know, one of the phrases that gets thrown around a lot amongst critics and, and movie nerds is style over substance. And that's the sort of thing that I would say when I look at, um, say, a Zack Snyder movie, I would say that is style over substance and it just doesn't mm-hmm. work for me. Um, I think Brian De Palma is an example where the style is so immaculately well executed that the style becomes a substance. And yeah. the, the way, like, you know, a scene in, like, Blowout or uh, Body Double plays out with the tension and the way that the shot's framed and the, the cat and mouse between the, 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 the hero and the villain chasing each other, mm-hmm. that becomes a substance and it tells a story through the actions and the camera work. Um, here, it's just... 
it's a generic looking movie with a generic score and, yeah. I, know, I, and I hate to say that because again it's you know Marconi but it, it does sound like a generic score it does yeah it's like it's loving yeah, I love him too I love Mar- uh, Ennio Morricone he might be my favorite like of all time mm. for composers it maybe this movie might be proof that it doesn't matter who it is if you get a boardroom like to make the choices for a movie they, they can wear down even the most talented of artists that's that's the yeah truth. it's sad yeah uh, or if netflix yeah. says here take our money and make something <laughs> apparently that has the same effect on directors with the exception uh, the, the, the notable exception to that is alfonso caron because roma is still R- roma, okay. yeah, yeah i haven't watched it but that is that's the right. that got a criteria and it's deserving it looks like it feels like a criteria maybe you're watching it that's that's the feeling you get from it um but now you're right there's a lot of our directors who they do a netflix movie and all of a sudden it's like did you forget how to direct what, what is this <laughs> wait do like producers actually help <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here this is this is odd um yeah yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to like it. I just watched The Phantom of the Paradise, also another De Palma film, and I mean, if you want to talk about style, that's probably his most stylistic movie. It is a musical, also, and it's like a horror comedy musical movie about rock and roll and the devil. So, I mean, that's probably as stylistic as you can get <laughs> with De Palma. Not one of my favorites, uh, just because I'm not a musical guy, but. I appreciate the weirdness of it, you know. But, no, I mean, I love, like, 70s and 80s De Palma. I mean, one of the most positive reviews me and Connor ever did was of Body Double. Uh, I mm-hmm. love Body Double. And, you know, we've never reviewed it, but Blowout is uh, really good. Dress to Kill? Uh, the yeah, Nancy Allen one? In fact, we reviewed that as well. Uh, that one I vote once upon a time. Uh, also really <laughs> strong. Um, yeah. You know? And, of course, Carrie. Carrie's a, Carrie's a great movie. Yeah, I mean, Tim just did that in streams last year, and... I you know I remember it being good, but I'd, I, when we watched it last year, it had been a long time since I seen it. I, I was genuinely surprised, like you know, this is actually even better than I remember. Like, there's... Yeah, like the split paneling for like the horror scenes. Yeah, it's really good. Like I'm, I love Carrie. In fact, one of the things that I really appreciated watching it again was how good the music was. I mean, we'll talk about music so much in this one, but I, mm-hmm. I didn't remember the music being such a great part of that movie. But watching it again, like I, I think it's just a case of. I think as you watch more movies growing up, um, I mean, I say growing up, I like you just mean like in your teens or whatever. Like, obviously, that's a big part of it. But even watching movies, you're going through your 20s and then your 30s, and I'm sure beyond and beyond is that... Because neither of us know, of course, beyond those ages yet. Hopefully we will one day. Yes, hopefully. <laughs> Breaking news, Peter and Tara hope not to die young. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but we, like, I, I think... Your, your taste matures and you appreciate techniques a bit more and you, you notice things that it's one of those things where if you show like you know five random movies to someone who's never seen a movie before they'll probably all seem really good because they've never seen the tropes they've never seen things but the more movies you watch the more you recognize what's unique what's generic what's that you know like you you build a database in your mind of taste and yeah it's different for everyone obviously but i think watching carrie again it was like no, like there's the artistry and the way this is shot and the music and the way it adds to the everything just clicked in a way that it never like I'd always liked it, but like I loved it when I watched it last year. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that one's always been a favorite of mine and of my mother's. So we watched it a lot. <laughs> Halloween time, it would be on. I know it's a great mother daughter movie. Uh, yeah, right? so what a weird mother daughter <laughs> movie. I mean, I, I also suppose- love my, my mother dearest. <laughs> I mean, I suppose when you get to, you know, that age, maybe, instead of having the talk, just sh- show Carrie. <laughs> That'll explain everything. Yeah, yeah. 
what, what my mom and I were close. <laughs> what are they all throwing at Carrie in the shower, mom? Uh, those are tampons, honey. <laughs> those are tampons. They'll, they'll explain it. Don't worry. They'll explain it. <laughs> hey, she's a horror movie fan. That's where I get it from. Um, that's a great movie, though. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, have, having more diverse voices behind the camera, you know, you know whether that be, you know, a woman for a woman's perspective on a story like Carrie, or be a, a person of colour for a, a story about, you know, that experience, you know, whatever facet yeah. it is. But, the, but you, so it was a lot harder to find, but every so often there were these examples of when a bunch of white dudes did actually make a really good story that was about something, in this case, you know, this, like, metaphor for the coming of age of a, a sexually mm-hmm. repressed... Uh, teenage girl. I mean, sexually oppressed isn't the right phrase because I mean, that's sexually active. But you know, what I mean, like she's so, so sheltered and like coddled and like uh, abused and all, all this thing. Um, yeah, her um, her changes that are becoming dangerous. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was all you know, it's all a metaphor, and that's what movies do. So it makes makes the the best ones work, especially horror yep. movies. Which is why we wanted to root for this movie. <laughs> of course, yeah. You know, clearly we're fans. But oh, oh well. <laughs> oh well, indeed. At least he uh, gave us some a great couple of decades. Yes, yes. Uh, so I, I guess we're a bit ready to go into spoilers. I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers for all the month. So thank you to Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Board Now, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, Brett Williams, and David Brown. They are all our twenty dollar more patrons, so that makes them producers. But you don't have to be a producer; you can support us for much less than that, can't you, Tara? Why, yes. If you enjoy our reviews, please check out our Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash TV. And if you donate as well as $1 per month, you will get access to bonus episodes of The Ace. And you cannot find them on YouTube. So please uh, check it out. See if you want to watch a Time Cop review or some Red Brown movies. Um, we've got a couple of Garrett Graham what? films, another of De Palma's favorites. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a lot of stable of actors now we keep returning to. You got, you got uh, Gary Graham, David Carradine, uh-huh. uh, Red Brown. There's like a little stable of like B movie. <laughs> if you, I mean, I don't know if B movies even the right term. Maybe C movies <laughs> more applicable. But yeah, a uh, little stable of actors we keep returning to. It's quite interesting. If I, an added benefit uh, right now for the next little while, uh, just to add on to this, is that because Tim's on paternity leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, the premium vote at the ten dollar tier has become the action movies experiment vote, um, <laughs> and what the reason why I mentioned you that guys is, are stuck with me for a little bit longer. Yeah, but the reason why I'm <laughs> mentioning that specifically is because the episodes that we make of that will be exclusive to Patreon as well at the one dollar tier. So for that one dollar, you also get access to those action movie reviews, which will be one a month. The first one should be within the next couple of weeks. We're we're, we're building up to it, but it's. Those are about to start. That's right. So that that'll be like a, a, an additional lot. So if you like me and Tara talking about movies, even if it ends up not being, even if you like the idea of us talking about sci-fi sometimes, then uh, although the first one's actually kind of sci-fi anyway, but that's that's not. Yeah, either. our first one was for uh, Tony Scott movies. Tony yes. Scott Denzel Washington collabs. Yes. And the <laughs> the science fiction one won. Yes, Deja Vu was the the winner. So uh, that's coming soon. But that that's uh, again more stuff at the one dollar tier. You get access. The, the voting for that's at the ten dollar tier, but you get the episodes at the one dollar tier. So. Uh, if you want an extra content, uh, there's more stuff there. So um, that's kind of making up for the fact that there's no streams bonus episode for the next several months. So um, yeah. enjoy. 
Uh, also, if you, if you, if you, obviously, if you can't support us on Patreon, that is cool. Hit the like button. Liking is super important on YouTube, and it uh, helps YouTube spread us out to more people and us find a bigger audience. So, uh, never underestimate how important that like button is. It's, just, it's so easy. Just click it. Just click the button. And you've done it, and it's it's like yay! Thank you. you know, the evil has been defeated. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know what the evil is in this case. Um, maybe maybe guess. <laughs> He's too lazy to be evil. <laughs> He's uh, chaotic neutral at best. Oh, yeah. <laughs> at like three in the morning, that's when the chaotic part comes out. Oh, I know that pain. I have I have three of the buggers, remember? <laughs> I know that pain all too well. No, thank you. Um. So there you go. Uh, so Phil Spiral is then for Mission to Mars. Uh, so, yeah, as we mentioned, there's a quick barbecue scene where we... we but the whole point of this scene is basically to set up the idea that Gary Sinise was supposed to go on the mission. He's trained for years with his wife because they were going to set mm-hmm. a couple up and him and his wife were training together. But his wife got sick uh, and died uh, in the last year or so. And he is basically opted out because he didn't want to like, commit to more tests. You know, he was ready to go, but he just he couldn't do it after the death of his wife. So he's he's still going up to the space station. He's still going to be like a, an integral part of the, the mission, but just not actually going to Mars. Uh, Don Cheadle and the crew are going on the first wave. Gary uh, Sinise sort of just walks straight from the Apollo 13 set, like, onto this movie. <laughs> He's the same character. He kind of, uh, you wonder, he probably was cast for that reason, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, and Tim Robbins is kind of, like, te- heading up the second wave, and it's him that's going with his wife. They're, they're going as a couple who have trained to go on this mission. Mm-hmm. Um which is upsetting all the other waves because all, all the other waves are all like, oh, we're all getting left behind. You get to go with your husband. I think it's interesting that NASA would want to send a couple on a, a trip like that just for the isolation and loneliness of it. Like, send a couple. That makes sense. <laughs> if anything, I'd argue why not send just all couples? Like, so there's no, like, yeah, send two or three couples as a, as a team. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's the couple, there's the the younger single guy, and then the, I don't know, the third wheel. <laughs> uh, I'm I trying mean, to think of who went in the first mission. Uh, the first mission was Don Cheadle, the other woman. <laughs> oh, yeah, and, it was like a French couple. Yes. and uh, Was it French? Yeah, they were French. Okay, they were French. I'm just probably confusing it with the uh, because the, the guy in charge on the space station is like, is he Russian or he's German? German, okay, yeah. He's uncredited too. He's got a pretty big role to be uncredited for. I know. I don't know why he's not credited in the in IMDb anyway. He's got some sort of dispute. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted his name taken off of it. He's like, I'm, 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 I'm livid about this. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the rest of his filmography is amazing. But it, it comes to well, one of the key things we should mention here because it does come back up later. This is the cheese. One of the cheesy things that comes back up later is when Sinise is kind of like sort of saying, "It's okay that I'm not going." You know what? Tim Robbins here. He's been dreaming of this since he was a kid. He read all the science fiction books. He's a, he's a total nerd. And yeah, Flash Gordon. He wears Flash Gordon like a little Flash Gordon ship on a on a chain around his neck, and they're kind of laughing and joking about it. But this does come up at the end. This Flash Gordon yeah. uh, chain. So. And it's it's super easy to predict who's not gonna make it. Oh yeah. 
from this barbecue scene. <laughs> Just the way they're studying up the characters, like Don Cheadle's like, man, you know, I wouldn't have gone. I would, I would do any, I would trade my place with your wife, you know. Mm. It's not important to me to go to Mars as it is for you to have your happiness again. But you're like, okay, so clearly Gary Sinise is going to go to Mars. So oh, yeah. something's going to happen to Don Cheadle. <laughs> yeah, so something's happened to someone. And, yeah, I mean... It's... Actually, if anything, what I thought was weird about the barbecue scene, because it's doing this thing where it's not quite a winner, but it kind of presents itself as a winner where it's sort of darting around all these people. And there's mm-hmm. sort of a joke where one of the guys who goes on the first wave, who we never really get like, get to know him that much, but his one trait is that he's young, single... He likes and, the ladies. And he's trying to like get laid before he goes to Mars. So he's basically saying, oh, you know, I, I might never come back. So I, mean, I could you know use a special night before I go. Uh and the joke is, is that by the time the camera comes back round to like another part of the barbecue, he's actually already sitting down with someone else because the first time fails. So he's, he's already with someone else trying to do the same thing again. Uh, yeah, I saw, and the, the reason honestly, why like he kind of comes off like super pervy. I'm glad like the women are just like, uh, no. Oh, sh- oh sure. <laughs> but the reason why I think this is weird is not the joke itself or I guess whatever. It's mildly humorous that he's you know, trying to mm-hmm. use this, right? Um, it's that I thought because they spent they, they gave him like three bits in this opening scene so I thought oh he's going to last a while I mean I expect him to die it isn't something a character's going to make it to the end but I didn't expect him to die in like the next five minutes I felt like he was set up to at least be a personality that was around for a while uh, so yeah. maybe that's a good thing maybe it's good that they made me think he was going to be around and then off them but uh... yeah yeah I guess so I, I sort of knew something was going to happen to <laughs> Captain All-American Flash Gordon but just from how he was being set up as well with the love his his love of his life i don't know how long they've been married i would guess three days by the way that they're acting (laughs) (laughs) um for an older couple (laughs) a lot lot of dancing yes a lot of uh maybe just the you know training for space flight and being in space just you know rejuvenates the 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 fire (laughs) maybe yeah yes what's more of an aphrodisiac than you know weightlessness <laughs> yeah but you don't want to get pregnant in zero g that can probably really mess up your body for baby i don't know maybe she's into it she's like oh what a weird space baby <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a weird space baby yeah i wonder if that would i mean they have artificial gravity in a way so maybe they yeah. would be fine but and if the baby survives we'll call it ripley oh yeah <laughs> obviously um <laughs> so so but yeah we just we can't have 13 months and the big thing that happens is that when they're investigating stuff on mars uh don Cheadle's there with the, the first crew that have went and essentially this sort of storm kind of happens but it's like it's got a mind it's, you know it's this, this like pyramid of sand kind of forms and there's like a vortex and the the woman dies first by a giant rock because there's a lot of like Basically, a lot of sand and rocks are starting to like sort of be sucked into this, and so it's going past them. And eventually, a big rock just hits her in the face and like goes into the you know into the helmet and kills her. Um, yeah, you know, uh, and, there's a lot of brutal deaths in this scene. Yeah, there's like a really brutal one where the the, the last guy to die, because Don Chill of course survives. Or at least he survives longer than everyone else. We don't know if he survives. You know, in theory, other other than he's lives long enough to send a message after this. But we, you know, past mm-hmm. that point where it's you know it's up in there is he alive i ex- always expected he would be because it just makes sense that the movie would do something with him later but mm-hmm. um but the last guy to die in this scene he gets sucked into essentially what looks like a tornado at the top of this like vortex and 
it spins him around until it just rips all of his limbs and head off. Yeah, you could see, like, as the helmet is going round and round, mm. you could see, like, his skull starting to, like, poke out of his skin, and then just, it's all red, and then the, the limbs get torn off. It's, yeah, it's a pretty brutal death. It's brutal. I kind of want to love it, but, you know, it's 2000 CG, so it's not the best looking... <laughs> I thought it was alright. I thought that was a, yeah. a, a decent death. Not the best looking, but hey. Uh, so everyone else is like, ah, oh, we have to go and save save him. Like, you know, it'll take months to get there, blah, blah, blah. Okay, we'll do a launch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Tim Robbins like, no, I'm taking Sinise with me. I, we, we need to go because he's, he's trained. He's the best there is. He's coming mm-hmm. with us. And again, I thought it was weird how we didn't get a scene of him finding out he's going to Mars. Like, we, we just cut yeah. ahead and they're already, like, halfway there. They're already on the ship. They're halfway. already... No, they're, more than that, they're almost there. Oh, so sure, We cut yeah. to them like 173 days into the trip, which is a half a year. Yeah, well, the point I'm making though is that, you know, is like, I was like, where's the scene of him, like, finding out that he's going to Mars? Because yeah. I, I thought he might even, like, try and decline, and, like, Tim Rose, no, 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 you're the best for this. Like, I was expecting a scene of him, like... Or, like, a tear or something. Yeah. Like, like, I'm going to do it for my dead wife. And I know that we've said <laughs> that a lot of this is cheesy and generic, and maybe that sounds like it would be cheesy and generic, but... Okay, if you, if you do it just the straight way and the way that we've just said is the obvious thing that comes to mind, for sure, it would be cheesy and generic, but it's really weird to skip over that beat. Like, yeah, maybe, maybe they, ca- they're just skipping over all the emotional parts. Yeah, maybe I'd actually care about his journey a little bit and, care, you know, like set up this idea of him like longing for something uh, because yeah. when he finds out this information, it, just, it feels like it's such an important beat to skip over. And the movie does that. Like we say, we don't see anyone land on Mars. <laughs> we always cut after the fact. We do get the flag lifting. We get the flag lifting, which just feels cynical <laughs> and like, all right, whatever. Uh, like, I, I, I do generally wonder: is there like a three-hour cut? Because this movie's just under two hours. Is there like a three-hour cut of this movie that has all of the other story beats put back mm-hmm. in that were taken out to get it down time? I don't know. Yeah, it really does seem to like skip to just um, the middle of a scene, um, and because of that, it, the the emotion's been taken out of the film. And I, maybe that's why these people are so boring to me. Yeah, and this is the... Because they have the scenes where he's watching like the home videos of his wife and they talk about his dead wife and whatever, and they're supposed to be emotional, but we don't get a scene where it's just about him. And I think because it sets up this thing at the start, because the opening scene, because there's nothing wrong with the opening barbecue scene. When it no, sets I up, wouldn't say so. Yeah, when it sets up the idea that he was going to go, he spent eight years of his life or whatever it was training for this mission. Mm-hmm. And then he, you know, in the last year had to pull out because of these reasons. And, you know, maybe deal with the idea that maybe he feels guilty about getting to do it without his wife, and that's partly why he doesn't want to go or something. Like, give us some sort of layer there. Um, yeah. So, but the fact that it sets all this up, and then, okay, it's very obvious that it's going to happen, that he's eventually going to have to go for whatever circumstance is going to present itself. To have them not have a scene where he realizes he's going or finds out that he's going and ha- have that emotional beat play out in his reaction is... yeah. It's not even just like a mistake or just like a problem. It's like downright bizarre and I, I, I don't know. I, it's baffling. It's a baffling choice. There are a couple of those in this movie for me. There's another later later on one um, with the motivation of the storm, I would say. Sure. That we'll get <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before long, they run into some, there's, there's like, uh, Jerry O'Carroll gets like a, a little, you know, bit of asteroid or whatever, <laughs> like through his hand yeah that was kind of a cool scene <laughs> yeah like, it, i mean it surprised me of, of course this is where the physics and like some of the science of things might start to fall apart completely uh 
Uh, this is where the Dr. Pepper saves the day because basically they're losing pressure on the ship, so they all go into their suits. Uh, and I can't remember why, but Gary Sinise can't wear his helmet for some reason, so he's kind of slowly like losing air. And It's because his helmet was damaged. I don't right, know right. if they had another one somewhere else on the ship for him. He eventually got another one, though, because they all go out in space like later. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but his whole plan, because they're looking for where the leak is and they can't find it. And basically what saves the day is that Gary Sidney basically gets the pouch of Dr. Pepper and just squeezes it out. The idea being that it'll go to wherever the, the hole is and it'll freeze on the outside. So there's like this frozen stick of Dr. Pepper like sticking out of the side of the ship. Right. <laughs> For Tim Robbins I mean- who's outside trying to patch it up and... It's a clever, I mean, people do that in real life for like trying to find a a leak in a system, like a water supply system. They'll put like a a coloring agent in it. Sure. So you know if something is actually condensate or if it's leaking. I'm not critiquing the execution of a plan here. (laughs) I am critiquing the close up of Dr. Pepper and just how it emphasizes that element of it. Did you not want a little bit of soda after you saw that scene though? I cannot say I did, no. <laughs> it did not put me in the mood. Um, it was so icy cold. No, no, nor did the, uh, the uh, DNA strand of uh, M&M's that I, Jerry O'Connell I, created in, in the air. <laughs> yeah. I don't hate the female character in the movie, but I do sort of hate her in this scene. Because I hate the way she's written in this part. Simply because she's with Jerry O'Connell when he gets the the hand pierced by the... Oh, the, okay. Oh, the hand. I thought you meant the D. I was like, she wasn't in the DNA scene. That was uh, Gary Sinise who comes up and steals the M and M's. No, she's sitting <laughs> next to <laughs> to Jerry when the the meteorite yes. goes through his hand, and they see where the, it came through, because his blood like sort of just goes and pools over where the the hole in the bulkhead is. Mm. So she knows that that's a way to find whether or not there's uh, a hole somewhere in the hull. So when she's with Gary Sinise and he gives her the pouch to, to squeeze because she's like in the middle area of the hamster wheel part of the ship. And she's like, what do you want me to do with this? You're like, you saw the blood and do the exact same thing. Like, why wouldn't you have this idea? She's there to ask the question so he'll explain to us what's going on. That's, that's, oh, yeah. that's, the, that's the purpose. That's Classic the purpose. ladies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, not just that, but like he's dying and she's like jim you really should use your air (laughs) and he's like just squeeze the pouch she's like why do you want me to do that (laughs) like oh my god she's the worst in this scene and she's just poorly written yeah in that part i mean the rest of the movie she's she's capable she doesn't really ask any questions that i can remember so that her husband can explain things it's fair to say that she in this case is used to just be for the audience to ask why something's happening even though she should know because she trained for eight years just like everyone else did well Um, plus she was there the first time it happened with blood oh yeah sure but even without that like you know she comes across it it can come across as being stupid because like no they all trained for the same amount of time for this this isn't Mm -hmm. you know super complex stuff um but on the other point though I think it's fair to critique how she's written throughout the movie because the purpose of her character is to make us care when Tim Robbins dies. The purpose of her character isn't for herself. It's because of what she means to him. Because her, her entire yeah. thing is like, okay, so they're, they're so romantic. They kiss all the time. She wants to let She always dance. wants to dance. Yeah. 
why don't you dance with me? And they dance, you know, <laughs> before they get to Mars where things are going to get rough, they, they start dancing in the, you know, the spinning part of the ship and it's... It means nothing to me. Yeah, it, 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 you know, it's and it's all just here so that we, we care when he has to sacrifice himself. It's all just telegraphing that, okay, <laughs> Tim Robinson's not going to make it. Yes. <laughs> so, it... it, it yeah, it's easy to be cynical about it and it's fairly critique it because it, 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 again, to be fair, all the characters come across as poorly written. The, the, the reason why I think we're focusing on this here is because the way that female characters have been poorly written in these sort of generic classic tropes mm-hmm. really sticks out because the men are also boring and cliched and generic, but at least boring and cliched and generic for the men still write them as like the heroes or yeah. the, the point, I guess. They make the right decisions. Yes. Yeah. So that's the whole thing. But anyway, so the, the ships, they think they're, they're about to land um, or they'll initiate, you know, going down. Um, but what they don't see, what the camera points out to us is that this, and it's weird that they don't check for anything else, to be honest, given that one rock got through the, sh- the hull of the ship. It's mm-hmm. kind of weird. They don't think, oh, should we check? You know, cause there's well, a, I mean, they're right. They're at Mars. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of the ship that they, they're not yeah. in, right? Because the ship goes quite far back. There's a big long part of the ship that they're not, generally speaking, occupying. So it's kind of weird that they never think to check their systems or check the fact that, hey, by the way, are you leaking tons of fuel, perhaps? Or, <laughs> you know, because that's what we see. We see the camera go back and... No, well, the, it, there is no fuel inside of it until they are landing. That's when they fill it up with fuel. Well, something's leaking. Well, yeah, it doesn't leak until they start their descent. Because then they prime it by filling it up, and that's when the jet fuel starts to come out. Okay, sure, yeah, but you see it leaking, though. Once this all starts happening, you see it coming out. Right, but yeah. when Tim Robbins is out floating in space, it's not leaking then. Oh, sure, no, I'm not I'm not critiquing, because yeah, you see it's not leaking before that. You, but we see all the holes, we see the scratches and the, yeah. the, the damage. Why? I know, and, and Gary Sinise just went through Apollo 13. <laughs> I just it's just it just it, it makes them come across as really stupid when it's like oh because yeah one tiny rock is all you get in space you always only mm-hmm. get one tiny rock and I'm not saying you can just get one tiny rock but maybe there was a couple more maybe there was two or three I rocks mean, the whole ship on the side of it has like streak marks on it like they got bombarded with more than one and I mean Tim Robbins even says so when he's up there he's like I need to check the ship for more and then Jerry O'Connell's like no I'll come back because we have to descend yeah, and what happens almost instantly when he presses the, you know, initiate, you know, descent, he, the, the, the back of the ship explodes and they're they're dead in the water. Uh, pardon yep. the phrasing. Um, they have to gravity their way out of this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, their, their whole plan is, is that they've got like a resupply like thing that's got a, launch, like a, a landing pad in it, like on orbit. And they're like, oh, hey, we can get over there. It's only about a kilometer, a kilometer away or whatever. Um, so they just sort of go out. They've got the little thrusters and they're, they're going... Um, the four of them and have abandoned ship and they're going over it seems like a bad idea in space a very bad idea um, <laughs> so correct me if I'm wrong right and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure we had this exact same conversation in Astra but I'm just going to do this again correct me if I'm wrong in space in a vacuum if you're propelled in one direction this, uh, no matter how little it is the sec because there's nothing like in a vacuum essentially the second that there's any like propulsion in the opposite direction or anything that stops your momentum, you would mm-hmm. just stop. Is that is am I correct in my thinking there? Uh, I, n- no, I don't think so. What would stop you? 
Like, if, if something stops your momentum, right? Okay, yeah. I don't whatever. Yeah, I don't, okay, I, yeah, I, yeah. I know there's not typically something there, but I, like, like, because the scene in Astro we complained about is that, like, he, he flies through this, like, asteroid belt. Um, mm -hmm. No matter how many times he gets hit with things, he still keeps propelling in the same direction. It's like, no, that should stop him. There's not, like, he's not being propelled with that much force. Well, I, I don't know. I, I think it just it has to match the force that you're hitting. Um, I don't know. I haven't taken a physics class in like a long time. <laughs> I just, but I think it doesn't matter like your force versus the opposite force. Okay, okay. Because I just, there's a moment here where Tim Robbins decides to like, you know, thrust her out to the thing, right? Because they're all a bit too far away from it. And he wants to try and hook mm -hmm. it with this. They've got this like a grapple hook thing that they're, you know, tether that he's going to try and hook onto it and they look adorable and he he's, he's getting close to it and he kept thrusting more and more and i'm like why did you keep thrusting like other than redirecting your course because you have to like, maybe slightly change the angle because he keeps saying i'm running out of fuel you know my fuel's going down. i'm almost out of fuel i'm almost out of fuel i won't have enough to get back i'm like but one little thrust should just well he doesn't have enough propulsion though like he doesn't have enough speed so each time he does the thruster, he goes a bit faster because he's already building upon the velocity that he's going. Hmm. Okay, I just... I, I'm not an expert, so I'm not, not going to argue this too much. But <laughs> I, I, as I understood it, that once you have a bit of momentum, you literally it won't stop. There's nothing to stop you in space if you, yeah. unless you hit something. So I didn't understand... But you won't go faster, I don't think, unless you have something that puts that makes you go faster so you'd have to keep propelling propelling yourself to gain momentum to gain speed okay i mean you'll keep going until you hit something because this is i mean not to besmirch uh, star trek because i know you love it but it's actually kind of a problem in star trek whenever they say they're on impulse power and they say mm -hmm. oh we've got enough fuel to last impulse power i'm like what are you talking about once you've started <laughs> impulse power you're just going like you're fine <laughs> if anything the thing that'll take power yeah. is to stop because you have to you know, thrust in the opposite direction, presumably, to, you know. Although, I think impulse power is still pretty fast in Star Trek. They have to be going, like, they're not going light speed, but... Obviously, yeah. I mean, they have to be going pretty fast. That's, that's what the warp drive's for. And I get that the warp yeah. drive takes energy. Of course that takes energy. The warp drive. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you need dilithium. Yes, dilithium, yes. Whatever that is. Yes, it is. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like we should probably talk, talk about this because I I I I don't know anything about space physics really, but <laughs> there was so much of this. I thought it was cute the way they were all like you know conga lined together, mm. and they, I I thought it was funny that even though they're in space, they are all the same like right side up to each other. Like why wouldn't they just be like rotating a bit? That never happened. It's like the Star Trek thing also where the ships are yeah, always yeah. like at the same level, like. Shouldn't they be more like that? Yeah, discovery <laughs> in space. It doesn't matter. Discovery did it once in like its first episode, and then never did it again. <laughs> yeah, I think people hated it because people just want to hate Discovery. But that wasn't the one good thing it did. There was like, no, this makes sense. That they wouldn't be up at the, the right way up is each other. Yeah, or I mean, they used to do it all the time in the original series, where they would be surrounded by enemies and like just go up <laughs> or down. You don't have to go straight forward or back. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, space you have to have a, a sphere to surround them. Yeah, sp space is a three-dimensional uh, <laughs> thing. <laughs> I love Star Trek. It's flawless. <laughs> there's, 
there's no gravity tailoring you to one plane of uh combat you know you can you know do, 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 diagonal even you know yeah you got options um <laughs> but yeah i mean i, I don't know I, I just it's one of those scenes where i'm sitting watching it and my my rudimentary understanding of things tells me that this isn't quite adding up and maybe maybe the things that i i'm i'm questioning are actually fine but I get the impression that if someone from NASA watches a scene like this, they're sitting cringing like constantly mm-hmm. about various things that maybe I'm not even picking yeah, up on. Yeah, don't show I... this to Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, I'm because I'm sure it's it. full of shit. Um, and you know, so much of it just feels like forced drama because he, you know, he flies across, he hooks it on, he can't grab onto anything, so he, you know, drifts off, and he's it's like okay, and like debating to be going yeah. get him, and. Not that I think there's a problem with the idea of like the wife's going to go get him, even though she won't be able to come back. And he, mm-hmm. to save his wife, says, "I'm going to take the option away from you by like taking my helmet off and just killing myself." Um, like I have no problem with that in concept, but these characters have been so sugary sweet that it just doesn't feel earned. It doesn't feel like a real like dark scene that this movie is earned. To, no, to I do. agree. I thought it was actually kind of dark that he was going to just drift off and burn up in the atmosphere and they were all going to have to watch, including his wife, Mm. like this really slow descent into death. I thought that was like, well, that's pretty brutal. But um, instead they do like a quick way out, which I mean, I understand, you know, I just didn't think, uh, I I thought the ballsier thing would, would be to just let him float off and continue to talk to his wife till he died slowly. Yeah, um, I, like I said, I don't think conceptually it's ba- a bad idea in a vacuum. No pun intended. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> but like, it just the, the, like I said, these characters have been so like glossy Hollywood, like likable, like nice to each mm-hmm. other. And I say likable, and that they're, they're likable to each other. Not so much that they're, I mean, it's not that they're dislikable or unlikable to us necessarily, but they're not that likable because they're that engaging. So they're just kind of bland. Uh, yeah, but. Uh, it just it felt kind of out of tone with what these characters have yeah, been. Yeah, they, they all seem like they're, I don't know, like a part of a frat house or something. <laughs> like, they all like each other. And and um, Tim Robbins is like the team leader or the fraternity leader. And uh, I don't know, he's he's fine. He just doesn't come off as real to me. Like, um, even the relationship with his wife seems very forced. Um and it's maybe something as well where, you know, we talk about some a lot of these tropes, uh, like these problems you get into in space, having to patch things up, having to like boost around. And, 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 and yeah, I, I like watching that kind of stuff. I, well, so, I don't so know do what I. it is about the movie. Well, so do I. But I think part of the problem is, is that we've seen these things all be done better in other movies. Like, mm-hmm. like almost everything in this has been done better somewhere else, whether it was before or after. Like, obviously a lot of the, the, the space survival stuff, you know, gravity's kind of the the pinnacle for a lot of that yeah um you know in terms of ship stuff you know there's the several examples that are really good um it, mars stuff you know you have the martian you have it's like and even though a lot of these things came later it, it still kind of feels like even at the time it may not have had the problem of having as many good examples to compare it to but it still has the problem of uh the glossiness and the hollowness and just feeling like it it never really justifies anything that it tries to pay off and then you have the the obvious problem of skipping over all these like important pieces because like, like i say i know because they, they, they get to the you know the, the, all, the three that are remaining get to the you know the, the, the little you know res- resupply ship or whatever and like they say okay let's get inside and then it cuts to them on the surface of mars yeah it just cuts to them on this like yeah, oh get down, 
Getting down to the surface was that easy, was it? Okay. Once they got to the pod, they were fine. <laughs> like, this would be fine if space travel was super normal, but when you're treating it as this is the first voyage, this is the first time and it's really difficult, right? Yeah. Uh, what, one of the things that makes Alien so good, I mean, we talked about Alien a lot when we reviewed Alien, but one of the little details that made it, even though space travel in Alien is really common and it's, be, it's treated like, okay, everyone does this now, the truckers in space, mm-hmm. it still treated the landing on the planet as if it was a bit rocky, like, Oh, it's kind of difficult still. Like, this part's a little bit, you know, just a little well, bit shaky. It's called Mission to Mars. Right. <laughs> this um, should be the big climactic scene. And and the idea of that is that, okay, it's relatively easy, you know, by a gazillion compared to what it is now with space travel. Because, you know, going to the moon is such an effort. It takes thousands of people. It takes all these calculations. <laughs> it's, it's so risky. People die trying. Like, <laughs> it's so difficult. Um, So to just gloss over that, oh, we landed on Mars, it was fine. Yep. <laughs> so, twice. I mean, they weren't the first; they were the second, so it's not a big deal. Oh yeah, because it was much easier a year later when they were. I think the, the biggest egregious part, though, is that they get to John, Don Cheadle, who's been surviving on Mars for I don't know six months or a year, maybe. Joe, you know this is the part. Then, that, that's that hard. The this part that the, they skipped is the Martian movie. Yeah, this is the part that is the most affected by hindsight because the Martian existing makes Don Cheadle's survival off screen feels so that's the movie silly. I want. It just it makes right. it feel so easy and silly because it's just it's like oh he's got like a, a greenhouse that's working okay yeah shrug that's it he didn't have to grow potatoes he had his own <laughs> yeah he's, he's uh, got a, he's got okay. a beard and he's a little bit loopy and that's kind of it that's the yeah. extent of it and um it's, it's what it is but and then the movie takes this turn because you know because we saw this insane thing happen at the the, the, the tornado the and we should mention at the end of that that scene there's like a little glimpse of like there's like a like a statue or something underneath the sand you know we yeah, don't get to the, see all of the it, face but... on mars have you ever like seen photos of like the face on mars no there's like a bunch of conspiracy theories oh, about okay. it it just happens to be like a crater that looks like a human face <laughs> yeah, so i assume that was the inspiration for this ah uh, some people seeing jesus in a toast you know it's just whatever yeah <laughs> but i mean it does look like a face but... yeah sure yeah but um so don Cheadle starts talking about you know it, oh you know it, it attacked us and it wants something and blah blah, blah and they all look at him like he's crazy but then he shows them the live footage of the face and the, the stand and they're like oh wait that's mm-hmm. someone built that okay that's like a that's like finding a pyramid in you know Egypt. in the beginning of the movie though when they were at the base of the mountain and you can see them looking up you can see like the nose of the face sticking out like nobody mentions anything about it mm. you don't see that like that giant silver looking triangle sticking well, out of the top of the mountain it's very windy and like a lot of like sand flying I, I think i get the impression that we can see that because it's a film but the characters like in their suits they can't really make it out clearly from that height i don't know maybe i i thought it was very odd that nobody brought it up in uh, the film because i mean they they weren't like at the base of the mountain in the beginning they well, they had to ha- rover to it having having not seen this before and not knowing what this was about so this entire like this giant storm kind of attacking them was like such a like what the f moment for me yeah um that when i saw the little t- the, the, the tip sticking out like you said i thought it was going to just be a pyramid i thought oh that's the tip of a mm-hmm. pyramid there's going to be a goddamn pyramid in Mar- and i already thought that was weird i was like wait there's pyramids in this what yeah. the hell um <laughs> and i i basically think oh, I'm, I'm getting like stargate vibes from this now what what's going on and but no, he shows them this footage and they're all like, wait, that's built. That's weird. And then he, he goes further into it where he's like, oh, hey, so I, uh, like, there's like sound waves coming from it and I like translated it into data, something, something, something you know, technobabble. And it's DNA. It's, it's basically human DNA with a little bit missing. And they're like, 
ah, oh, well, you know, human DNA and like, you know, ape DNA is like, you know, only like 3% different or something like that. And so it's just, you know, it's, it's just remarkably close. And then it's Gary Sinise, who, and probably the worst Spills moment- Spills m <laughs> The worst moment of the movie. He spills M&Ms. He flashes back to when uh, Chris, or Jerry O'Donnell, sorry. Not Chris, Chris O'Donnell's the bad Robin from the, the Batman Robin. Jerry thing. O'Connell. Yeah. Jerry O'Connell, yes. That's the one. <laughs> Jerry O'Connell is, he's made the DNA strand out of M&Ms and it's like floating perfectly in, you know, in, in the ship. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm glad De Palma decided to remind the audience of that scene. Like we would have forgotten. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's already stupid. <laughs> But the fact that it flashes back to it, and we even hear the dialogue say, I made my perfect woman in DNA. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, you know, this is the DNA of my perfect Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, I guess it, the different colors represent the Gattaca. <laughs> I, I, well, I guess. I, but the, the fact that he has this moment, and this is what makes him realize, wait, this is a test. Like, the answer is to fill in the, the, the blank part, the part that, you know, completes it and makes it human. That's the test. And... It's like, we have to do this. So they send out a little rover, a little mini rover, to go and, like, play the sound. Uh, which makes sense. Like, they didn't explain this, because I was thinking, like, how are you going to give the answer? But when it played the sound, I'm like, oh, you know, this actually makes sense. I get it. You're playing it in the same language they transmitted it in. Like, you're, you're giving it mm-hmm. to them in sound, which is how they gave it out. So that makes complete sense. Dun, 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 dun. There you go. Uh, it's ripping off Close Encounters <laughs> as well. Good point. Uh- <laughs> actually, there is a bit of that with uh, Sinise's character. It's about communication. Yes, I agree. Um... <laughs> i love it when i get a call back to a really old joke i love it Um, yeah me too oh come on you can call back old jokes too i don't remember any they might pop up when you talk about a specific movie you might something may click it's fine anyway i'll I'll spoil memento in the next episode or something (laughs) no (laughs) I'll do it on the bonus episode. <laughs> You've been warned. Um, I, I think I just have to start putting a blanket warning in, the, in every description for for the ace. I'm like, by the way, there may be spoilers for Memento. Just FYI. <laughs> in every episode. In the spoiler section, it's safe. <laughs> for this movie! <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, when, when this, this, they play the noise, uh, the thing opens up, and it's not, like, hostile-looking. Like, the idea being that before it attacked, because it was like, ah, unknown entities, like, you know, repel, repel. Um, but they go in, and this is, you know, it's very 2001, it's very interstellar, this idea that something that built this, you know, the ancient aliens, whatever they are, like, built this, and, like, we're answering the call to the next stage in human evolution. Like, you know, it's taking a lot from other... It's, it's yeah, 2001, when we find the, yeah. the monolith. And obviously, I know, sometimes comments can get a little bit anal about this, and I know I'm bringing up Interstellar, I know that came later, so really all I'm saying is it took from 2001, and Interstellar also took from 2001. I am just bringing up other examples that this is, like, mm-hmm. you know, makes you think of. I'm not I saying do, it took from that. I do sort of question the aliens' motivation by adding a security system to their front door like this. It just kills everything, yes. Yeah. It just kills humans, the people that they invited. Uh, yeah, it's weird. So so the three of them, uh, Jerry stays back, and the other three go up to the thing, and they go in, and this is where it's getting, like, ultra sad, because it's, like, this clean white room, you know, again, very 2001, and mm. there's, like, a... Pro- I like the look of it. There's a Prometheus moment here, right? Now, it is a bit better mm-hmm. than Prometheus, because at least they check that there's air, right? Mm-hmm. But then... The- there's a couple of Prometheus yeah. moments. But then, then, then the woman's like, oh, hey, um... 
and let me check because just in case there's any like gases or something that's you know like you know is dangerous yeah. as well and so he's like you know what nah 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 like i've waited my whole life for this let's just do it and she's like oh effort <laughs> and they just all take their helmets off mm-hmm. i'm like okay all right you're supposed to be scientists just say yeah <laughs> just, just say. seems like a risk <laughs> bit of a bold move um okay i get that okay if they're invited it's not hostile like you know the the atmosphere they have the scans that say that the air is yeah by the way i also hate their technology (laughs) this future tech oh my god like is able to analyze exactly what they want (laughs) i know i i forgot to mention this i'm glad you brought this up the scene where uh tim robbins is going out to the thing with the zip line right yeah see the the messages that their like their computer and their arm was giving them yeah it was it was it's so specific to like their their current scenario that it doesn't make sense it was like at one point when she's like flying out to get him it actually tells yeah. her this is the point of no return like i know how does it know that how, how does it know that that's what she's based that on she's going to make a trip back yeah ba- based <laughs> on what how do you know where she's going how do you know like how far it is back like how do you know any of this it, 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 that wasn't even the first time it happened in that scene but that was the one that really upset yeah. me i was like and they're not meant a- those things aren't even meant for like long distance travel they're no. meant to just like go bounce around the ship a bit and do repairs so why would she be able to do it at like the seventy five percent fuel level? And it's it's got it's got a voice as well that sounds kind of cheesy and robotic. Like, the whole thing is just it sounds a little Eevee from uh, Wally. Yeah, the the whole thing is just, this, this is another trope. It's the trope of the computers just magically being able to do things that, and you know, okay, maybe it's because we understand computers now better. So so we're looking at this and going, this is stupid, but it is stupid. <laughs> It is stupid, yeah. <laughs> it's really stupid. Every, almost every time she looked at her like wristband, I was like, I hate this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it seemed to have information it couldn't have. It seemed to understand what they were doing. It seemed to be able to give, yeah. like, you know, like, recommendations based on, like, factors. Like, what are all the variables that you know exactly? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how do you know the variables? Like, what's going on? Anyway, so they're in this, this alien room. They take their helmets off. And there's actually, like, a shot from this movie that I've seen. Because it was in a, a a compilation of shots that I really like on YouTube. Um, there's a great video on YouTube. Uh, it's the great it's the, the 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 Carl Sagan speech about the pale blue dot, set to music by Mogwai, uh, which is a like an instrumental Scottish band. Uh, but it's really good. It's a really good like five minute thing where it's his speech playing over this music, and it's all set to clips of different movies, and it's a, it's really emotional actually. But the shot yeah, of, a lot of his writings can be yeah but the shot of like the three astronauts walking into essentially the uh the planetarium essentially I mean, it's a bit mm-hmm. more high tech than that but that's you know they're, they're walking into like a diagram of the solar system in like hologram form and uh that shot i remember seeing from that but that, that's the i little... actually i actually enjoyed this this part of the film i enjoy this scene i think uh, it looks good i uh, i i know we get like a look at the alien and it looks cgi but for the most part, what they're trying to do here and what they're trying to say, like well, I do enjoy. The alien being CG looking at it is okay because it's a hologram, so I can buy that the holograms will look CG, not that the alien mm-hmm. itself looks CG. I know that's right. like a weird justification, but it actually does kind of make sense no, in my head. No, I, I thought about that yeah. too. Um, I like this scene on its own. I don't think it actually fits the movie that it's attached to in any if, way shape yeah, or form. Yeah, the rest of the movie had, like, this style, that would be great. I know. The, <laughs> the movie, like, it doesn't feel like it was thematically setting up for, like, unlocking the secret of humanity or anything like that. So this comes out of nowhere. The actual, mm-hmm. like, revelation that Mars was once, because, and I noticed this before they mentioned it, because you see, like, you can see, like, you, know, you can see Venus and Mercury and you see Earth and the Moon and you see the fourth planet and you're like, oh, 
that looks really blue and green. What the hell is this planet? That's not Mars. That doesn't look like Mars. And then they look mm-hmm. at it, is that Mars? And it's like, oh, this is what Mars used to be. And then we see, like, you know, it was hit by something, you know, kind of, kind of an asteroid like, or yeah. something, yeah. Um, and we see like all these ships evacuating. So the idea that the Martian population evacuated. As a DC Comics fan, the idea that one Martian was left behind, I was like, uh, or one, there was actually one ship. It wasn't a Martian, but I was thinking of Martian Manhunter because he's like the last Martian who's like survived the disease. And I was, uh, I was, I was there to know a little bit. I was there to know a little bit. Is the Martian Manhunter from Mars? Yeah. Okay. It used to be populated. There was green and white Martians, and they were at war. There was like a racial war between green and white Martians. It's the whole thing. Hmm. I guess all civilizations <laughs> can't get past that point for some reason. Yeah. Um, so, but, and basically, the, the, the just like, it turns out that the DNA that makes up you, the reason why they have it is because this Martian, or Martians in general, invented it and basically mm-hmm. planted a seed on Earth. So, this is why we don't know any of this because this all happened before the dawn of, you know, this is the start of evolution. Yeah. And uh, this started this is the life. The Cambrian explosion. Yeah. This started life on Earth. And we, and this, I will say the CG for this is really, really bad. Where we see, like, alligators and then like, other animals, and yeah, we see, like, a hunter. And... They're they're kind of, like, anamorphing into each other. Yeah. But at the same time, this is also, like, a CGI presentation. <laughs> kind of, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but, it, yeah, it's like it's showing, like, just the world forming and eventually, obviously, humans. And it's yeah, like... th- that is where it's the worst, though, when you see, like, people, like, cave people running yeah. after, like, mammoths and stuff, and the running looks so awkward. And you know, the, and, you know, these ideas are really big and bold, and it is very mm-hmm. 2001. Okay, so this is the, the especially since it, it gets to the point where the whole idea of this is that they want one of the humans to come to, to where they are now. So, and you know, yeah. Gary Sinise is the obvious choice. Yeah, you know, his wife is dead, he's got nothing to go back for, so he's going to like stay behind and he go to the, you know, he, be, he becomes the guy in 2001 who's going to advance to the next stage of evolution, right? He, he volunteers, yes. Um, and those ideas are are solid. I mean, again, we've seen them done better before. Uh, this is a bit more, you know, 2001 is a very abstract and you have to think about it and really get the, the idea of what it is. Whereas this is more... Find out on our thoughts soon. Yeah, very soon. <laughs> Whereas this is more in your face and sort of spelled out. But it is a fun sequence and it's definitely the best scene in the whole movie. I don't mm-hmm. think it actually fits the movie it's attached to, though. It came out of no. left field and I'm like, wait, we're doing what now? And we're- why are the Martians, like, murdering people outside of the walls of this ship? Like, are they... Is that there in case another type of I know. animal gets there or an alien gets there? Are there other aliens that we, are hostile? Are they worried about uh, <laughs> the people from Venus that we've not found yet coming? And, you know. <laughs> or what if the crocodiles became sentient and <laughs> evolved? We're like, no, well, no, no crocodiles on Mars. <laughs> I, suppo- yeah, I suppose the point is that they have to uh, make sure it's intelligent life. Because obviously it doesn't start They got to and- Mars. That's, I mean, that's Isn't fair. that enough? That's, that's fair, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, sure. That does prove some level of intelligence. I'll admit. Um, I mean, maybe for all they knew, eventually it would. Do, maybe they didn't know what it evolved into. So maybe they were expecting like, ah, uh, maybe like the monstrous like dinosaurs or well, that's post dinosaurs, but <laughs> maybe the raptors got there. Yeah, the raptors like grew. They are like, very clever. Grew wings and then like didn't have to breathe. If they so. had another sixty-five million years, maybe they would have evolved into <laughs> a, a space-traveling dinosaur. Of course. I, I I love the visual of a, a raptor with like glasses on and like a hat and <laughs> the velociraptor. Yeah, the velociraptor. Oh, I like that. That's not me. I didn't make it up. I don't. The like internet it. did. <laughs> the velociraptor. <laughs> I haven't heard that somehow, but I like it. Uh, well, there's a whole new search engine that you can. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> velociraptor. So. 
he stays behind. Uh, he, he sort of goes into this sort of like watery tube, and it's it's like he's worried for a second, but then it becomes clear that this is special liquid that he can breathe in. Uh, that the Martians. This have is Galaxy on. Quest, by the way. <laughs> this is how they travel in Galaxy Quest. Because the goo like comes up through the tube. That's true. That's just true. This only came out a year after it, though, so I'm going to assume it's a coincidence rather than any inspiration taken. It's like the exact same shot, though. Sure. Yeah, but like. I mean, I like it. It, it works. Yeah. I I like the idea that he's like this tube he's in is filling up with a f- jelly fluid thing that he's holding his breath because he doesn't want to drown, and then it's not to the point of like I'm going to die anyway that he inhales the goo. Yeah. Well, so so the others like race back to get to the ship. Uh, they they left off. They see the ship that you know the alien ship that Sinisi's in flying off. And I, I love the idea that Jerry O'Connell's like didn't get to see any of this. So when he, mm-hmm. when they tell him later, because they've not had a chance to tell him yet, uh, that he's going to be like, "What really? Come on, guys!" But he sees the ship fly by, so at least he saw something to justify yeah. s- some of it. He's the, he's the Michael Collins of this group because there was, uh, I think that's his name, Michael Collins, um, Buzz, Aldrin, mm-hmm. and Neil Armstrong. Um, yeah, Neil Armstrong, but Michael Collins had to stay in the pod while everyone else went on the moon. I love that the one you struggled with was Neil Armstrong, which is the, yeah. the one that everyone else would say first. <laughs> I was I was thinking, like, what's Buzz's last name? Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear. That's the only thing I could think of. Too. <laughs> Aldrin. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I... Well, first of all, I think it's how weird how quickly it comes up saying the end. Because they literally say, I hope he has a nice trip, the end. <laughs> like yeah. it's, just, it, it's really abrupt but I, I couldn't help but think like is anyone going to believe a word of this when they get back because that's yeah. the other thing they're just like okay they're back in orbit so therefore they're safe they can go back to space because there's a line there's a line right at the start of the film when they first see them in the space station where they say that if Don Shield survived well the space pod thing is basically autopilot like, even one astronaut could take it back to earth safely and I'm like okay you're hand waving that just so mm-hmm. that at the end we don't have to worry about them having to get home we can just right. sort of ah you said it's easy it's fine whatever but they also don't have food <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah, they like... threw out all their supplies in order to fit everybody in the pod i assume they brought some of the uh <laughs> the hydroponic labs yeah yeah <laughs> the poo potatoes yeah because there's still three of them you're right they have to like to fit three of them they have to like throw out some stuff so um maybe this is bigger though because this isn't the same size as the other one that they went down with because they've fixed the thing that John Cheadle already had on the planet and they've mm. lifted up in that. So I missed that part. I thought they were yeah. escaping in the same thing. No, yeah, because they brought like a new motherboard to fix his thing. That was like, part of the, the thing. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, also, when the uh, when the ships are taking off, like the they almost the the Earth pod almost gets hit by the the, the Martian <laughs> one, but it looks like they came from like two different hemispheres of mars like how far away were they from each other because uh, one's like going this way and the other one's going the, like this way like they had yeah. to be pretty far away on the planet for that to work yeah and of course we have to mention because we, we promised we would uh when they're saying goodbye when gary's staying behind is that uh, uh connie nielsen who i think every time we've talked about her since the start we've referred to her as either the woman or the female character because she's that bland <laughs> <laughs> we just like that's that's what we've said every time. I noticed that yeah. like halfway through, um, that's what we kept saying. But she pulls out the little chain with the little ship, the little flash garden ship. Says he'd want you to have this, 
And the Red Hat Award, huh? Yeah. Uh, yes, the, the 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 Red Hat Award from uh, Cosmos. Even though, like, so even though I do like this scene largely, this part was laughably like, oh no, it's so stupid. You've 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 made this too Hollywood and stupid now. They couldn't have made it like a cooler looking necklace. I don't know. I it's it's one of those things. Like, obviously, you want setup and payoff. That's the makings of a good story. But sometimes, like it can feel a little bit right in one on one, where you've you've set this thing up in the opening act, which is clearly just there to have a, a sentimental like meaning at the yeah. end. That just feels a little bit too obvious. Um, yeah. I, I think that's the difference between you know s- you know serviceable writing and good writing is when it feels that way, and I think that's what we get here. So, you know, made me laugh. <laughs> I, yeah, there's some unintentionally funny moments in this movie, and uh, unfortunately, a lot of them center around the female. <laughs> the female. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, which I mean, I guess maybe sums up like how important she feels in the plot. That that's even how you're referring to her as. Yeah, I mean, I think someone just said we need to have a girl on the crew so no one can say we're not sexist in the future. But if, then they just wrote her super tropey. Well, that's, that's the thing, you know, when you analyze the writing, it, that, it would be less sexist to just not have her. It would be. So, uh, and I'm not saying that's the good, the, 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 the response is to write better, not take her away. That's not, you know, I'm making that clear. But it, the irony is that, yes, it would actually be less sexist to just not have her uh, mm-hmm. than it is to have her like this. I mean, at least she didn't, like, take her shirt off or anything. <laughs> that, that's true. That's, that's very true. Um, but she is, like, the nagging wife in the beginning and then yeah it's just there like you said to bring sympathy to the guy or to set up why are we doing a thing so that gary sinise can provide the answer mm-hmm. yeah. yep so be so yeah this movie which starts off feeling like it wants to like you know be relatively grounded feel like a more like what if we did apollo 13's like version of going to mars kind of like movie and then it mm-hmm. ends with gary sinise flying off on an alien spaceship to somewhere else yep. to meet Martians. To the planet beyond. I, I think it's kind of funny though because there's, there's, I mean they kind of stopped talking about this like after like half an hour but there's a lot of talk in the first half hour about oh the reason why we're doing this is to maybe colonize it right? I think it's kind of funny that they're planning on maybe colonizing Mars if they can even though they talk about how there's like storms that cover the whole planet that last like all year I'm like yeah okay yeah good job good luck. Um, but yeah, right. I do think it's kind of funny that that we find out the Martians already left and colonized somewhere else because Mars was screwed. And I just, I don't know, it's like, nah, Martians already ruined the planet. Sorry. Yeah, why wouldn't the Martians go to Earth when their planet was done? I mean, it's blue and green also. <sighs> Something in the atmosphere? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> maybe, I don't know, maybe they just wanted to be more adventurous and they wanted to plant their seed. They wanted to like do an experiment. So that'll be your Petri dish. They didn't, it, they didn't we, go to Earth at all. I mean, they, they left their DNA. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for that. But they flew off. Which I, was, I should mention as well that the Martian looks kind of like a generic alien with a big head and the eyes. Like, you know, it's not like they went with like a unique alien design. It's just very much based on the no, classic. No, I thought the ship was a cl- kind of cool design. Like, the actual head looked kind of neat. Not of the alien, but of the the face on Mars. Yeah. Although, though, I thought that not- looked all right. The whole thing's not the ship, though, because the ship kind of comes from within inside it. Like, that, the actual head itself is just like a shell yeah. for it. Yeah. Right. But I like the the design of that. I thought that was a cool one. I think it's based off something. Mm. Off some, like, uh, German sculptor 
that sounds reasonable. Um, it, I will admit though, it's hard not to, even though I think it's cool the idea of finding something that was clearly made on Mars because that's a mysterious thing. And I don't think the yeah. movie really plays with the, the the like the the cosmic mystery of that enough. It, it feels like it just jumps to like, the conclusions. But I do like the idea of like finding that. But I will say that seeing like a statue sort of head on Mars did make me think of Prometheus a little bit. <laughs> a little Prometheus. Also, really. like the uh, the founders or whatever leaving their sperm on our planet. Oh, it's very true. Um, yeah. Do you think Ridley Scott ripped off Mission to Mars when he was making Prometheus? Again, and speaking of directors who... Well, actually, Ridley Scott's a bit of a weird case because Ridley Scott... Well, I mean, he made The Martian. That's he did. a very yeah, good movie. He has one great example of the last, like, 10, 15 years. But he was always kind of up and down, though. It's not like he always made gold back in his, like, heyday either. That's true. He made a lot of gold, don't get me wrong. Ridley Scott has a lot of great movies, but he has I some... I like Thumb and Louise. That was a good movie. I, I, I concur. <laughs> He's got some low-key ones. I, I remember Matchstick Men being an enjoyable little movie. Or uh, mm-hmm. there's a Michael Douglas uh, like thriller called I think it's a uh, Black Rain is the name of it from like the end of the eighties that was just pretty solid. He's got he's got a lot of smaller ones that are kind of gems as well, but he's also got like you know yeah the big ones the stinkers and stuff yeah so oh yeah uh, where's Brian De Palma much like John Carpenter uh, I guess they just had an era and then they were done yeah uh there's definitely a few other directors that kind of falls into the mold but these are the two biggest examples these these are the two examples where they were so strong for like decades and then Mm -hmm. you know and De Palma in many ways was referred to as kind of like a a successor to Hitchcock there was a lot of oh yeah he's very inspired by Hitchcock so, sometimes to the point where people said that he was just a ripoff of Hitchcock and I don't think that's fair I think he was clear he could be inspired yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, it was very similar, but you could definitely feel like he was given his own like seventies and eighties like edge to like the sort of style Hitchcock had, and mm-hmm. I think that's okay. Like, I mean, there's always room for a good kind of evolution of what Hitchcock was doing in filmmaking. Like, I, I, if a new director pops up in the next like decade, who oh, yeah, this was like a modern version of like a Hitchcock movie, I'm not going to be mad about that. Like, no. yeah, if I, I go th- see it, and if it's Disturbia, I'll be very mad. Oh yeah, Disturbia, <laughs> but I, I, I will respect. <laughs> Because uh, this is the thing, like the Palma movies are very slow and stylish. This movie does not feel slow. It's, I mean, Mm-mm. not in this. And when I say that, I don't mean it's like it feels like it's constantly moving. It's two I, hours, but it it feels like it skips a lot. Yeah, and yeah, I don't. I, I'm not saying that as a compliment. I'm not saying it's fast and that it's well paced. I'm saying that it feels like it's rushing through plot beats. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I don't feel the weight of anything because it's moving too quickly. Um, so I mean, we're, we're pretty much done. But I just, you know, it's just disappointing. Yeah. All right, then. What are you going to rate Mission to Mars? Well, after our conversation, I've sort of knocked it down a point. But I mean, when I watched it, this I was sort of clinging to the stuff I liked because I do. I want to like the Palma films, but um, this is so not him and not his style. And I think maybe he just wanted to to make his Kubrick epic and it failed because mm-hmm. maybe he was reaching too high it just feels yeah it feels just a little bit too under palma unfortunately yeah um, and i mean there, i i do like the stuff on mars i like the effects on mars like there's a lot of like a lot of practical effects that i appreciate um and you know honestly some of the stuff in space looks really good too for the cgi that they had to do or in the model work yeah, there's there's not bad effects. I do think sometimes when they have, you know when they're standing in front of the storm near the start, there's mm-hmm. a, it's very green screen looking. You know, there's there's definitely moments where you can feel the the limitations of the effects. 
Yeah. Um, I appreciate the designs of the ships and how they do look like not too distant future. I mean, we're not there yet. You know, they missed it, but <laughs> or we missed it rather. Um, I, I we have cooler tech than they do. Sure. They sure. were they were so. Unimag- we, don't ha- we don't have the hamster wheel yet. Yeah. I want the hamster wheel in space. They, they were so unimaginative about showing us any future tech that we actually feel more futuristic today, despite the fact, other than the fact that we're not going to Mars. We feel more mm-hmm. futuristic than, than this movie presents 2020, which I guess makes us feel good. It makes us feel a little bit superior, like, haha, we're better than you, movie. We, we did this. Well, I'm sure you're going to rate it lower than me, but I'm going to give it a, a 5 out of 10. Um, I don't know if I am, or at least not much lower. I, I think, like, it's not horrendous. It's not. It, it's, it's a watchable, cheesy Hollywood movie that never. Mm-hmm aspires to or, or, or it aspires but feels miserably to be anything more and it is it does kind of feel like he's phoned it in in multiple ways it feels like the palma phoned this in in terms of story and that it does kind of just take things from 2001 uh, without really doing anything super interesting with them it feels uh it feels phoned in in terms of direction because it feel, other than one or two moments it just feels like a generic quick cut hollywood movie all of his styles kind of missing uh, the characters feel kind of phoned in in their execution. Like, everything just feels mediocre for the most mm-hmm. part. Um, in some cases, laughably bad. Uh, I, I think I was coming into this thinking five, but like you, I think I've actually talked myself down a little bit. Um, and I really have to emphasize just how inappropriate the music is. And I think the music almost knocks it down a whole point on its own, if not more than that, because it just constantly pointed out that the scenes weren't working because it kept trying to make them something they weren't. Yeah, um, but I, I would suggest like if you like Morricone, I don't think this is a bad score. I just think it's not sure. It doesn't fit I mean, the movie. Yeah, I feel that way about uh, some scores. Like I, um, like I like I really like some of the music from the Amazing Spider-Man movies, and they're not good movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the music's not necessarily appropriate at times to the movies, but I, I like the sound of the music on their own. You know, it's fine to listen to. Yeah, um, yeah, I might check out the score oh, for uh, this one. Is- Man of Steel is a great example. Hans Zimmer's score for Man of Steel is fantastic. I mean, I like that movie that much, but yeah, great yeah, the movie kind of misses the point. But yeah, oh, the movie does. But and that's a, that's actually the sad thing is the music doesn't. Is that you can actually you can hear like the main that piano theme that plays in that for Clark. It's like that is perfect for Clark on the farm. It's perfect, but the movie <laughs> just doesn't you know get the point. It's sad. Anyway, uh, so I am going to go. I'm going to give it a four. Four out of ten. Not, so, not that much lower than you, just a f- one full point. Yeah. But I, I think it is such a mishandling of everything involved, and it feels so phoned in, and it is disappointing coming from a director that I like, coming from, you know, some cast that I really like. Uh, yeah, I, sure. I think... I, I mean, the series is fine. I don't necessarily have a strong opinion on him. I think Don Cheadle... Yeah, I like him. Don Cheadle and Tim Robbins I like a lot, though, from other things, so... Uh, yeah, Tim Robbins can be really... Uh... I mean, yeah, he's Shawshank, so everyone's gonna love him. But I, I don't know. He he always surprises me when he's in a movie. Like, I don't know what version of Tim Robbins I'm gonna get. Like, he gets <laughs> real goofy in a lot of his roles. Do you know what they should have done for this? The poster should have just been him. Do you know the pose when he's out in the rain? They should have done that, <laughs> but in the astronaut suit on Mars. Just any different on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> I just call it the Martian Redemption, and that's it. You're done. <laughs> You're done. It'll sell, it'll sell a bajillion tickets. Everyone, from, oh, so, I mean, wasn't Shawshank like kind of a 
well, a that's failure. The, that's the that's the point. Everyone will feel guilty because when they later found out it was great, they're going to all go watch this Martian Shawshank movie, and then they'll be disappointed. They'll be like, "Shit, I supported the wrong one because Shawshank was good and this one wasn't. I should have supported mm-hmm. that instead." But that you know, neither here nor there. Um, oh, I I almost want like, like a new audio track with this, like Morgan Freeman, like the first time I met Andy Dufresne. <laughs> <laughs> crawling through some ship pipes on mars in fact his name was uh it was red you can even work that into the red planet look nice. <laughs> there you go it's all working yeah the red planet on this was all was just like some field in vancouver that they painted the space painted all the rocks red they went through like i don't know like tens of thousands of gallons of red paint <laughs> that's crazy surely yeah. they could have just digitally like colored it differently well, I guess they just wanted to make it realistic. I guess. Um, I feel like a tint would have <laughs> done the image would have done you probably. But uh, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge? Do I want to waste a bunch of red paint? Like, yeah, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate yeah. the look of it. <laughs> I mean, it's this this the, the, I mean, the whatever rocks. rock quarry that is now painted red. <laughs> I mean, the rocks aren't going to be harmed by some paint. It'll chip away eventually. It's no, no big deal. It's just rocks. Yeah, so that's not lead based. Yeah, it's, it's not like Canada pa- will be fine. It's not like they wanted uh like oh we want some exotic animals so we'll paint like a cow green like that that'd be like, oh that's no bad for I'm the not cow. like I'm not gonna be yeah you know fighting for rocks rights yeah it's a rock it's fine I am an environmentalist but <laughs> I I don't see a big deal about the paint <laughs> unless no. it's lead based sure, which they yeah. shouldn't be no I, I I think it's fine I think the rocks will be fine. Uh, I'm sure those rocks from 2000 are still alive today, how, living a happy life uh, in a field in Vancouver. <laughs> a red field. <laughs> I doubt it's still red. I bet. I bet it's all. I bet weather and conditions have just. Yeah, it seems risky it. for Vancouver. They get a lot of rain. Yeah. They must all have to film the scenes really close to each other. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's all gone though. Um, mm. But anyway, so if you made it this far in the discussion, um, I, I, I think. The, the word probably has to be Flash Gordon, the phrase even. Yeah, Flash yeah, Gordon. that's what I was thinking. Yeah, if you made it this far, put that in the comments. Uh, Tara is going to do her pose for the thumbnail, so here we go. Three, two, one, pose. You are number one? I'm pointing up to Mars. Ah, okay. <laughs> it's above me right now. I can sense it. Yes, yes, because relatively speaking, Mars could be below, could be to the left, could be to the right. I mean, <laughs> Depending on where we are in the spin, the rotation of the Earth, where we are in the cycle around the Sun, where Mars is. Well, yeah, so it's it's above me, so it's like below you now. Maybe a little to the left. Mm -hmm. We're on different parts of the planet. I understand (laughs) that part, yes. I'm not not confused by that part. Uh, But yeah, okay, so there you go. That's Mission to Mars. Uh, Next time, though, we're out of this 2020 thing, so. I mean, not the year itself, of course. We've got a little bit left, but uh, we're at this 2020 theme. So we're actually doing a newer film from this year that I, I've been looking forward to checking out. I, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be good, per se, but um, it is from the director, uh, the son of David Cronenberg. I, I believe his name is Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, his film called Possessor. Uh, Doesn't which, sound like a science fiction movie. Uh, it, it definitely is. I mean, it's one that maybe could veer into a bit of horror as well, but I do. it sounds sci-fi from everything I've, I've heard or seen. Uh, I'm expecting a, an intense film, so hopefully we've got some juicy talking points next All time. Right. 
so that's what we're going to do next time. Should have a bonus episode up soon, so check out uh, Patreon. We should, yeah. That should be... In fact, the bonus episode, hopefully, may even be up. If... Nah, well, no, nah, maybe after this one. But it, it, yeah, it shouldn't be too long after this one if it is. Um, and don't worry, if, if, if Possessor ends up being really intense for people, and if you're mad that we made you watch an intense film, assuming it's as, as intense as I it seems it is to me, um, don't I worry. This movie is. We're following it up with something a bit more lighthearted. Uh, Kevin Bacon's in it. It's fine, right? <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, I know. <laughs> it was the uh, Patreon vote winner. winner. Yes, uh, there may there may be monsters that come from underground, uh, and <laughs> Kevin Bacon in a cowboy hat for like. You've never movie. seen this movie either. Yes, I have. Oh, I thought you said you hadn't seen it before. I've never seen the sequels. I've seen the first one. Oh, okay. So then, yeah, you know what you're getting into. Of course. It's one of my favorite oh. FUs in a movie. I don't remember the FU. It's been a while, so I don't remember specific points too well. You'll notice it when you watch well. it. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, all right, well, that's been the Atomic Slam Experiment. This has been episode 93 of the show. So uh, thank you very much for being with us for almost 100 episodes, and you know we're coming up on that 100. In fact, if my calculations are correct, 96, 97, 98, 99. There's a very good chance that the first episode in January will be episode 100. The first episode of the new year. Well, that's convenient. Um, uh, well, the first one we record anyway. The, the one, the last one we record may actually technically come out at the start of January, and then it'll be the next one that's episode 100. But okay. yes, that's all right. We'll start the new year off right. Yes, yes. We're starting After off with the, the shambles of <laughs> 2020. And then episode 100. That's 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 what you're looking forward to. Uh, so, in fact, in some ways, this movie was twenty, 20 years uh, anniversary uh, of when it came out. You know, it came out in two thousand. In a weird way, our episode one hundred is also kind of a twentieth anniversary, <laughs> not of when it came out, but you know what I'm saying. It's two thousand and one. Two thousand and one's episode one hundred. Okay, right? Yeah. You, you get the idea. Okay. Uh, so we mentioned Patreon earlier. Go over there and support us if you can. Uh, as a big help. We also mentioned, of course, liking, subscribing, all that jazz uh, on YouTube. All of it does help. Uh, catch us on Twitter at mailed underscore fudge for channel updates. Tara, would you like to promote any other content that we do on MailFuzz TV? Well, if you're a fan of epic long-form storytelling in science fiction, why not check out our Babylon 5 reviews, which we are doing from season one still. We're only in the beginning, so if you've never seen it or if you're Babylon 5 curious or if you're already a fan come yeah, check uh, it out with us what is the year in that 2258 and what's the name of the show Babylon 5 <laughs> and if well, unless you're watching this... The Gathering then it's 2257 yes yes uh, but I mean if if you don't get what we just did there, it's a reference to Babylon 5. You, you, you're fine. Uh, <laughs> so there you go. That is uh, that is pretty much us. So thank you very much for joining us. It is, uh, we could have a long episode. Uh, I, I guess Mission Tomorrow's gave us a lot of meat to chew on. Well, we wanted to talk about the Palma films. Sure. sure. Why wouldn't we? It's great. So, mm-hmm. uh, it's probably the, and it's probably the only one we'll get to talk about on this show. Cause, oh, definitely. Oh, uh, thank you, Daniel <laughs> Sci-Fi. Um, so there you go. Thank you very much once again for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching science fiction and computer at Salsa. Be back in a flash. <laughs>